Let's go to the word of the Lord. Can I get an amen? amen? I want to talk just for a few minutes this morning about the church of the Lord Jesus. I'm glad I'm part of the church. How about you? You know, I have to tell you, Bethesda, I have learned, I, I was raised in the church, raised in a pastor's home. You know my story. I've uh, been in the church all of my life, served in positions of leadership in the church all of my life. I have learned much from our language services, though, about uh, how the church can function. Um, they've shown me in various ways some uh, different values and some different aspects. First of all, um, that there's more than just the good old American away when it comes to church operating and church function. How many of you know that's true? If you've ever been on the mission field, you understand that a little more poignantly. Uh, they, the language services, would say that they have learned much from us. They, they tell me that with great frequency. But it should also be said that we have learned much from them. You may be asking, like what? Well, let me give you a couple things. I am always um, heartened, if not astonished, by their absolute unflinching faith in God. They simply trust God. It is, a, it is remarkable to me how strong their faith is. Many of the folks in our language services, if not most of them, they have come from situations and circumstances that caused them to have a desperate dependency upon God where they didn't have any other choice but to trust God. He was the only choice, and they have found him to be faithful time after time after time, and I love it when they freely give testimony to, to such. The strength of their faith is remarkable. There, it almost at times makes me wonder in this country if, we, if we're not desperate enough, if we're not dependent enough, if it hasn't gotten tough enough for us to really understand what real faith in God is all about. I think the other standout for me <clears throat> with our language services when I see how they are and how they function and kind of get the behind the curtain look at all of it uh, is their understanding of the church and what the church is to be. By that I mean they greatly value living as a community. In our country, we have learned to value our individualism and we live accordingly. I see profoundly, because of where I'm positioned, particularly to see all of these language services, how they value community, and it tends to put a spotlight on how much we in the American church value our individualism. Uh, you'll see this most profoundly expressed when one of them loses a loved one, or uh, when one of them experiences a great victory of some kind. Um, when it comes to dealing with those issues, they, they, um, they mourn they, or they celebrate whatever the situation is or they even pay for whatever the case is as a community and not as an individual. They do a fantastic job of living out the words of Paul to the Romans when he says, as was quoted this morning, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and we are to weep with those who weep. When I look at them, I see that everything is done in community, and it is beautiful to behold. And honestly, we could learn much from, from that. Uh, 
I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I decided I'd go ahead and, and, uh, and ask for forgiveness later. Um, one of the reasons that I have always been challenged by this idea of streaming our online services is because it seems to me that it can tend to placate or pander to our value of individualism if we don't watch it and the comfort that we find from our individual, valuing our individualism. I wanna just say this, and this is my statement about this morning, individualism is not a kingdom value. It may be an American value, but it is not a kingdom value. Now, to those of you who are watching online today, don't turn me off yet, I really wish you would hear me out. We truly understand the unique need of many of our people this season to be watching the service online, and we are grateful that you are. We're grateful we have this, uh, can make this available. And we greatly value the importance of everyone doing what is right for them to remain safe according to their physical circumstances, and we believe that you should be responsible for that. But honestly, if you are a true believer in Christ, at some point, you ought to begin to become uncomfortable with not being in the house of God. Do I have any support in the room today? Because I just lost some friends. <laughs> One of our very fine members contacted me this week. And again, I, I want to be quick to say, we know some of you are in physical situations or we have shut-ins that this is the only way that they can be part of a service. We welcome that. We celebrate that. We know that some of you really have real need to be very cautious about uh, being out with others. Um, but we had a, one of our fine members who is, is still... Uh, watching us online, probably watching right now, who contacted me this week, and I thought his uh, text to me, it, it, it just rang true. He said, Pastor, uh, he said, we have never valued our church more greatly than we do now. We've had to be out for many, many weeks, and we've never, it's never meant more to us than it does today. We have got to get this COVID thing behind us. We cannot wait to be back in the house of God with God's people. It's great to have the online, but it's, there's nothing like being in the, the house of God. So if you're watching online for this season, I'm going to tell you, you should be reaching for and longing for the day when you return to fellowship with other believers in the house of the Lord because that is how the church of Jesus is designed to function and live in community, rejoicing with one another, weeping with one another, bearing one another's burdens, encouraging others in the faith, lifting up the hands of your fellow believers, strengthening the body of Christ, finding your place of service in the church. Every week I get, I receive emails, uh, there's not a Kleenex over there. Is there anywhere handy? Just throw one at me here. Every week I get, uh, thank you, I get podcasts sent to me and um, videos and articles and, and, and things uh, for me to either listen to, watch, or read, and I do my best to keep up with them. Uh, some weeks I do that better than others. If I've not responded to yours, just give me time. I, it may take me a while, but I'll get there. Recently, something was sent to me that reminded me of how we were taught by the Lord Jesus to pray. 
And of course, you know what I'm talking about the Lord's Prayer. You know how it goes. My Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread and forgive my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Am I right? What's wrong with that? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about it? I was challenged by it. In fact, as I began to look at this idea of living in community and beginning to lessen our individualism and, and, and elevating the value of living in, in community, I began to, to see more and more. That is not how Jesus himself taught us to pray. And I happen to think he was intentional about every syllable that he spoke to us. It was on purpose. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give this day our daily bread and forgive our trespasses as forgive those who trespass against and lead not into temptation but deliver for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The church of the resurrected Christ is designed to live in community. Um, one guy I heard recently, I'm not going to go as far as he did, and he went further than what I'm going to tell you because I think some of you would really be shook up over it. One guy I heard recently went so far as to say that we should primarily, when we go to God in prayer, we should primarily be going to God with the needs of others rather than our own. That ought to be, now that's, that, that'll challenge American thinking from top to bottom. That our going to God in prayer ought to be more about others than it is our own. And you know what, you might challenge me, well, aren't we supposed to go boldly before the throne of grace to make our petitions known? And the answer is yes, but why should we assume that they should be all our petitions? Maybe they're the, the petitions of others. And I know that every once in a while I've got some feisty people that are part of the fellowship who might come right out and say, you know, when I talk about this thing about living in community more than individualism, but Pastor Dan, there, there's a couple people there in that community I just don't like. And my answer is, that's okay, because they don't like you either. <laughs> but isn't that what community is? Iron sharpens iron. Some of us are real sandpaper on others. Don't look up here. Can I just tell you that is one of the wonderful ways God works out stuff in us. The very person that you saw coming down the hall today and you made a beeline going the other direction is probably put there for a reason to help reveal something in you. And I don't like this preaching any more than you do. But that's probably why they're there, to reveal something, bring something to light that needs to be dealt with within you. All of you still love me, still say amen. amen. I mean, I, I just one more thing about this. Look at the very prayer that the Lord Jesus um, prayed himself in John 17, in verse 21. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. 
as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us. Why? So that the world will believe that you sent me. The church is designed to live in community. Would you say that with me, please? That wasn't real good. Do it again. The church. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. The Gospel of John, chapter 20. Please listen to me carefully to tell you the framework that and the lens through which I'm going to ask you to listen to this message today. I want you to consider Mary Magdalene and the encounter she had with Jesus at the garden just after he had risen from the grave. So what's so unusual about that? Well, here's what's unusual. I am presenting her to you this morning as a type of the church. And I want us to see what the Lord has for us to understand today. So that means, that is the, it is the lens through which I want you to hear everything that I'm saying. When we talk about this and when we speak of anything of her, I want you to think of it in light of the church and project uh, her situation, her thoughts, her feelings, her reactions uh, onto the church and what it should say to us as a church in 2021. John chapter 20, starting with verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. <clears throat> and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave, and as she turned, she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? Well, she thought it was the gardener. Sir, she said, if, if you've taken him away, can, can you tell me where you have put him? And I will go and get him. And in this narrative, I can, when I read it, I feel this grand pause right here. She gives that reaction, and then here's what happened. Jesus said, Mary, and in my foolishness, I have tried to imagine the various ways he might have said that that made it so, such a moment. Mary. 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 How might he have said it? But he called her name. And she turned to him and she cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. And there's a lot to be assumed about this moment right here. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his most holy and infallible word. Mary was obviously a desperate seeker. She was a seeker, but I think we could add the word desperate before that. She was a desperate seeker. Obviously, she was willing to give up her search even after others seemed content to go home. The verse that precedes the passage that we read right before this tells us clearly, and the disciples, they went home. So they'd gone home, but she stayed. Most of us today will simply go home following maybe uh, 
the service or after a bite to eat. But there are others who will say in their hearts, it's just not enough. I believe there will be those who have participated in this service of worship today, who have sensed a dynamic presence of God, who have such a yearning in their heart that I don't know how they'll respond. I'm certainly not trying to even suggest how they should respond. That's not mine to do. But I believe that there are those who have felt such a response from our time of worship today and the sense of dynamic presence of the Lord that they're going to say, it's just not enough. There will actually be people who don't want this service to end. It's just not enough. And Mary stood at, out at this tomb where Jesus had been laying and she was weeping and she was looking and she was searching. And Bethesda, we must have that same cry within each of our hearts today. At least to say that it's not enough to just casually attend church anymore. I don't know if I'm the only one in the room, but I don't want to play church or play games anymore. I'm not interested in that. I'm simply not. I want a dynamic encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want the presence of the Holy Spirit. I need more and more and more of Jesus. I can't imagine a situation where people are satisfied to just come in and sing a couple of songs and maybe theoretically agree with a few facts given from the pulpit and then just go home. Probably most of us can agree with facts that Christ was crucified, he was raised from the dead, uh, and maybe going to churches occasionally is a good thing to prove that I agree with those things. But Mary was a desperate seeker of God. Just as the prophet Jeremiah said in his book in the 29th chapter, and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. When you want me for who I am, when you want me as the true Lord of, of your life, when you seek me like that, you will find me. Now, I'm just working my way through these seven verses quickly. Jesus spoke her name. And I think the church should be listening for the Lord to speak our name. And then the moment came when, when, when he spoke her name. And there is a moment for every seeker of God no matter what has happened to you. And I mean no matter what has happened to you. There is a moment for every seeker of God that he speaks your name as only he can speak it. Can I just say nobody anywhere can speak your name like Jesus can speak your name. We sing a song, I think Tommy wrote it. He knows my name. It's a Tommy song. He can speak your name like nobody can. Can I just remind you today that the way Jesus speaks your name, it's even better than your mama speaking your name. Better than your daddy speaking your name. Better than your grandma speaking your name. He knew you before you were, before you were formed in your mother's womb. There is an intimacy with the way he knows you. That when he speaks your name, it's different than anybody else speaking your name. He allowed you to be conceived irrespective of of the circumstances surrounding your conception. In other words, I want to say to you today, no matter what happened about how you were conceived, you are not a fluke of nature. He knew you. The sovereign almighty God allowed you to be created and he knew you 
In fact, the psalmist says it this way. Psalmist David said, he knew all the characteristics of my life, including how I was going to be formed. They were all written down even before I was ever conceived. Therefore, when he speaks your name, there's something about the voice of God calling you and calling me as only he can, which is unlike any other voice you've ever heard, nothing like it. Now, I'm going to say this. It's usually not an audible voice, but I don't think we can rule that out. I know people who feel that they have heard an audible voice, but there is that inner sense that God is calling you. He is speaking to you. And when he calls you and when he speaks your name, things like this happen. Your inner prison doors begin to open. Wounds of the past that have kept you enslaved are becoming healed. The fog of the future begins to dissipate. Hope and help come into your life. For his is the voice that calls you out of death and into life, out of darkness and into light, out of captivity, into freedom, out of powerlessness, into that which God has empowered you, out of confusion, into clarity, out of selfishness, into being given for others. There is no voice anywhere that can call you like the voice of God. And by the way, he doesn't call you because you've got it all, all together. How many are thankful for that? He doesn't call you because you've made no mistakes. He doesn't call you because you've done it all right. In fact, the reality is this. He calls you in your weakness. He calls you in your failure. He calls you in your lack of strength. He calls you even when you have allowed him to slip through your fingers. Moving on. And if Mary is serving as a type of the church this morning, it is obvious that she laid hold of Christ. So therefore, when he calls our name, we should lay hold of him if we are using her as a type of the church. Many historians believe that Mary simply fell at his feet, assumedly because the scripture says that she clung to him. There was obviously some sort of reach toward the Lord Jesus. And how strange it must have seemed when Jesus responded with, let me go, or don't cling to me, or whatever your version says. Don't hold me here, because there is more that I have for you. And Bethesda, I believe that's true for Bethesda. I think it's true for us. Don't hold me here because there's more that I have for you. Christ was about to ascend into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. He was about to go into the place of full rest, the place of complete victory, and the place of absolute authority. And what he had won on that cross in full measure was going to be given to those who by faith make the choice to allow him to be the God of their lives. In other words, Christ was saying he was going to sit down in all authority and everything that is mine of the Father is going to become yours. And so why did Christ say to Mary to not cling to him? Was it a, a rejection of, of her affection for him? I, I don't think it was. He didn't have a problem with being touched. He didn't have a problem with people showing their affection. Think of Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who, who anointed his feet with her perfume and uh, with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Why did he tell Mary Magdalene to let him go? 
I think it's because he immediately had a task for her to accomplish. And when you hear him call your name, it is likely that there is an assignment for you coming from heaven. Selah. Now there are many seekers of Christ today who struggle to move forward. They struggle to move beyond their uh, own sense of failure. They struggle to move beyond their sense of unworthiness when they hear the call of God. Some people almost reject or shun or shy away from the call of God because they are so cognizant of their uh, unworthiness and their failures. In fact, that becomes the first big obstacle in responding to the call of God is getting over your stuff. Well, think of the prodigal son who declared, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. He, he responded that way. I once knew you, I once walked with you, but I allowed the precious, this precious relationship I had with you to slip through my fingers. So I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Some of you are saying, I'm no longer worthy to be called your daughter. I'm going to tell you this, some of the greatest preachers of all time who have ever touched pulpits have been men and women who have been inherently aware of their own weakness and their own failure. They themselves are struggling. Many are the people who stand and preach the word who are preaching out of their weakness, not out of their strength, no matter what their delivery style is like. They are preaching out of their weakness and they're very, very aware and they know what it is to need the sense of God and the cleansing of God every day. Let me just say it much plainer than this. You know what, church? We're all a mess. Come on. We've all failed. We've all messed up. I don't care how big your Bible is. If God judged us by our thoughts, not one of us would be able to stand. Am I telling the truth? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Paul brilliantly says this to us in Philippians. But here's one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Somebody needs to embrace that fully today within your heart and your soul. You have to be able to shed your past. You have to let those chains of your past fall off behind you. In other words, Paul was saying, I'm not going to allow this feeling of unworthiness to become the standard of my life, particularly when I hear the call of God to move forward and to move on. God, if you've cleansed me, if you've redeemed me, if you've washed me in precious blood, then I'm not going to call myself common or unclean any longer. What I'm going to do is lift my hands to you, O oh God, because I know my cleansing is only because of you. I know my redemption is only because of you. I, only, I know it's because of what you've done for me on the cross of Calvary. 
and I'm going to put on that robe of righteousness that you're giving me, that robe of cleanness that you bought for me on the cross of Calvary. I'm going to open my heart to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to accept the resurrection life of Christ that is within me. And God Almighty, not by my strength, but by yours, you're going to live your life through me, and I simply offer my life to you. I may be the weakest vessel in your entire kingdom, but that's okay because today I'm saying, God, be glorified through this vessel. Take me, Lord, and use me for your glory. I can't see that clock. Oh, it's 11 o'clock. Okay, great. There are folks in the room today who feel like Mary did. And this is a, they intensely feel the pain she felt of how her nation had tragically handled Jesus. And you and I are living in a generation that has tragically handled the truth of Jesus Christ. Am I right about it? Have we not casually played with the things of God? And it would appear that Christ is being cast out of every facet of society as had been done in Mary's day. I read something yesterday and I finally just clicked it off. I thought, I'm just so disheartening to see what's happening across the country. And you know what, folks? It is a mystery to me why we can't understand that every society throughout history that has done what we're now doing has paid a terrible price for it. Why can we not get that? What is it about us? as a people that we fail to see that the greatness that this nation came to in just a short period of time owes its origin, its genesis, if you will, in great measure, to the acknowledgement of the Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. That the culture that we have was originally founded upon the Word of God. For whatever reason, we keep on straying and we seem to continually cast Christ out of our society and how Mary must have felt the pain of this moment and the shame of it all. I can imagine both her deep sense of personal unworthiness as well as her deep sense of national unworthiness for he came unto his own and his own received him not. But just as he gave a word to Mary on that day, I believe there is a word for us today as a church and it's this. Let go of the past. Don't be bound by the present and move forward toward the mercy of God, the victory of the cross, and God's eternal provision for a new tomorrow. For church, I declare unto you today, the voice of the Lord is calling to us once again. And if we did not belong to him, we would not be hearing it. But because we hear it, it gives us the assurance that we do belong to him. We just must be careful to not be swallowed up by the depravity of our day. Must be careful not to be swallowed up by the, by the present hopelessness in the world in which we live. No, 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 no. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let the church say hallelujah. We are the church of the resurrected Christ, the one who is alive and who's reigning today. 
We have a living eternal Christ who sits at the right hand of God and he is king over all the nations. Blessed be his name forever. The hearts of kings are in his hand. He moves everything any way he wants it. He is at the right hand of all authority. He's not the historical Christ in my heart. He's the risen Christ in my heart, the one who lives within me. And from day to day, from moment to moment, from line to line, step by step, I am being changed by the Spirit of God into that which God would have me be to honor his name to my day and my generation. I've had more failures and successes in this life, but I am bound by neither. Because my Savior sits at the throne of victory, and he's the one who also lives inside of me. He has a church on the earth. He has a body of people. And we are not a natural people. We are a supernatural people by the glory of God. It's probably not long after this encounter of Mary with the risen Christ, Mary found herself in the upper room. There were no superheroes there, no mighty preachers really. They were told to go there and wait for the promise of the Father. They went into that upper room, and as they began to pray, God's Holy Spirit came down as Jesus had told them through John, which we see in John chapter 16. Let me show you a little bit of it. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, uh, John 16, verse 13, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Verse 23. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. But ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Bethesda, we are living in a day where prayer must increase in the church. It cannot decrease. It must increase, even in our sense of community, not only as individuals, but as a community. We are living in a day where our asking must increase in the church. I strongly encourage you to be a part of some prayer group. Would I love to have you here on Sunday evening to pray with us at 6 o'clock? Of course I would. But if you can't possibly do that, then there are plenty of other smaller prayer groups meeting throughout the church, and those can be seen on our website, I'm sure. Call the church. In that upper room, Jesus indicated that the Holy Spirit will show you the victory that was won. He will make it plain to you. And whatever you ask for, for the purposes of God, it shall be yours. In other words, if you need courage for the purposes of God, if you need power, direction, freedom, victory, whatever it is that you need to be a living witness for Christ on the, on the earth, if you need faith to pray, Ask for it. If you need wisdom, ask for it. Whatever you need for this hour and this battle that we're currently living in, Jesus said, I will give it to you because you are the church of the risen Christ. And I declare to you today, in the name of Jesus, I'm speaking in his name, that the church has to rise up one more time in this hour and be the church of the living Christ. We must let go of the past. 
We must press on into the future. We must stop being oppressed by things that were done to you or not done for you. And you must also move beyond the limitations of the present. Whatever boundaries the devil has placed around you, whatever you've come to believe about yourself, whatever words were spoken over your life, though somehow those words have defined you and have become the boundaries of your life in Christ, I encourage you this morning, let it go for the glory of the name of Jesus. Let go of the limitations of the present. Let go of the failures of the past. Let all of it go. And go to God and say, God, show me what you need me to see. Show me what you need me to see as you're calling my name. In that encounter between Jesus and Mary in the garden, he said to her, I didn't just call your name so you could cling to my feet for the rest of your days. I called your name because I'm going to my Father and I'm going to send to you an understanding of what I have won for you, of the life that can be yours, of a future, a hope, a strength that can only come from God. The cry of our heart this morning needs to be, God, show us what is ours. Show me what you want me to do. Give me what you want me to accomplish. I'm ready to receive my assignment from heaven. Give me faith. Give me power. Help me to understand that I'm part of the glorious church of the resurrected Christ. I live in community. And do that within me which is necessary to bring glory to your name throughout my generation. And by the way, God... Break me out of the box that I'm living in. Break me out of the box. The box that I put myself into from time to time. The box of my own thinking. The box of other people's words that they try to put me in. The box of other people's expectations. There's a box there that I can easily get into. And God Almighty, break me out of this box and do within me what you want me to do. Help me, Lord Jesus, to lay hold of you again in this generation and to come up out of that place of prayer like they did in the upper room, victorious, empowered, and sovereignly touched by God so that our world can observe a supernatural church and let them ask the question, what must we do to have that kind of relationship with God? Church, we need everything that Christ accomplished for us, everything that Christ bought for us on that cross. We must have it, because if we don't, we will just be one more of a myriad of powerless voices. But I happen to believe, and there is faith within me that is arising more and more every day, that one more time, one more time, the church of the resurrected Christ is about to wake up. Something is about to happen. I believe that with all of my heart. It is a supernatural church, supernaturally gifted, am I right about it? Supernaturally set free, supernaturally cleansed, supernaturally empowered, supernaturally given the life of Christ and the gift of God to move forward in the name of Jesus. Can I hear a shout of hallelujah this morning? <laughs>